Great. So some of you guys might know, not know, I uh, had an opportunity to go on a cruise. I didn't have to pay for the cruise, which was really awesome, right? Um, and so somebody paid it for it for me, not anybody in the church. It was my parents. So uh, they took like our whole family. And I'll be honest, I was a little anxious to go on the cruise. Um, yeah, I just don't like confined spaces. And it's like, I, I kind of viewed it as a death trap a little bit. So uh, I got through that. We took our kids. I had my nephews. I only have nephews. I have one niece, but she's too young. She couldn't even go. So I've got like three nephews. And uh, the cruise is a lot of fun. Uh, and so we, at one point, were kind of exploring the cruise, the different decks. We got to like the very top of the ship. And now this ship uh, had an actual jogging track, right? Had a mini golf up there. I spent a lot of time up there playing mini golf. Um, and at some point... Uh, I got into like impromptu, that means I didn't plan it, um, impromptu foot race with my nephews. Um, the funny thing is like, so I've got like two nephews that like, it's a decent race, you know, they're like maybe like this big and like this big, but there's another one that's like this big and I, I've got him easily, right? So his dad like took a shortcut, but like there's a part of this is like when you're kind of jogging against kids, like you can make it look kind of cool or like you go all out, like strive for it, right? Like forget about lose the fact and don't be imprisoned by what other people think of you and just beat those kids, right? Uh, so I was like, I don't care what these people think about me. Like I'm going to whip my nephews. I'm going to show them how fast I am. Um, and so anyways, like so I didn't allow myself to be imprisoned by what other people thought about me and I just strove through the whole thing. My brother cut through halfway, so like, I literally come down the stretch. I'm like, I'm kicking my nephew's butts. But my brother has picked up my little nephew and is sprinting to the end. I've grabbed my daughter, Adeline, and I've got her in my arms. And so it becomes like my brother versus me. And I'm like going all out. I'm stretching out. I'm, I'm like, I'm dying at this point. I can feel my muscles moving and stretching to places they have not been in years. And we came across the finish, and my brother, my brother beat me, but like, like hairs. I was like, oh, I had to get him congratulations. Um, that was a fun, a fun little thing. I thought I was going to be dead afterwards. Like, I thought I'd like, I need a bath, but they don't have baths on ships. I'm sorry, that's maybe too much information. I like baths. Um, and so I was super like, oh, man. But what was cool is I kind of looked back, and I saw that uh, me kind of losing myself in that situation uh, provided a, a fun time. Uh, it provided a, 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 a good memory that on the ship, otherwise, sometimes being on a ship can be a little boring. In the same way, when we kind of lose track of ourselves, we find our identity in Christ. When we actually find who we are, who God made us to be, understand who he, what he's done for us and who we're becoming in Christ, our identity frees us from the brokenness in our lives in order that we might strive for him. See, our identity frees us from the brokenness in our lives, the, the things we struggle with, the things that pull us down, the things that grab, or grab our attention and pull us towards this world. Our identity actually frees us from that brokenness and lets us strive for God, for him. And we're going to get into a story tonight from Joshua chapter 2. It's a story of a, of a woman this woman is of ill repute. What does that mean? It's a big word. She was a prostitute. What does that mean? She sold herself for sex. This is a really interesting person. This is an unlikely character to be a hero in a story, but she's going to be the hero tonight. 
the story of Rahab, the prostitute. Uh, so it takes place in Joshua chapter 2. Why don't you guys open up your Bibles? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Let's set the background. Let's look at what's going on. And we're going to jump into the story. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And Joshua, the son of Nunya, right? Son of Nun, sent two men secretly from that word as spies saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. That's how you handle a word that you can't say when it's in Hebrew. And I know how to read Hebrew, and I'm just I'm not good at that word. Okay. So Joshua takes two guys and sends them to the city of Jericho. Jericho is a, a big, massive city, fortified. It's like the biggest, strongest city in the whole land and where the Israelites are looking at. Well, let's back up a few. Let's kind of fill in the gaps. What's happening? Who's Joshua, son of Nun? I, I don't know who Nun is. Um, it's not like a nun, like a priest and nun from the Catholic Church. It's like a person named Nun. So who is Joshua. Well, he is from the people of Israel. Uh, These people have been enslaved for 400 years in the land of Egypt. So these are the same people that we learned about that are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, We've told some of their stories. We looked last uh, two weeks ago at at, uh, Joseph. And, And Joseph is the one that saved his family and brought them to Egypt. They prosper. They've grown to a great people. The pharaoh of Egypt then enslaves them, puts them in bondage. For 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt. So God, all of a sudden, he remembers his promises to Abraham and says, I'm going to bring you guys out. I'm going to free you from your slavery. I'm going to make you my people. And so God calls Israel. He sends Moses. You guys, Who knows Moses? Who doesn't know Moses? Nice, nice, okay. Moses is a guy who's going to be God's special messenger. He's going to be the spokesman for God, for all of God's people. And so Moses goes down to Egypt, scared to death, and he actually takes his brother, who actually is a better speaker than him, and they go talk to Pharaoh. Ten plagues later, Pharaoh has a hard heart. God brings a devastation to the greatest world power at that time, which is Egypt. God then leaves the Israel Israelites out of Egypt on the exodus, right? They exit Egypt. So that on exodus now, they leave Egypt. God gives them laws. They turn to God. They understand who he is. But there was this pivotal time, and this is why Joshua is now in this place where he's about to enter this land that God promised to these people for, for a long time. And it's an interesting situation because you would have thought, who would have been the one standing there on the promised land about to lead God's people into it? Moses. But back when Joshua was a little younger, he and 11 other guys went over into the promised land and they came back and the people got scared of what they were hearing about. These giants in the land. And they didn't trust God, so they ran away. They said, we're not going into that land. We don't, did God pull us out of Egypt just to have us slaughtered by these giants? They didn't trust God. They didn't find their identity in God. And so they fled from that. And God said, every single person who was born, everybody that was of fighting age, he's like, you're all going to die in the desert. It's pretty shocking, right? So they wander. It's 40 years of wandering. Something's clicking. Some of you guys know some of this history. So 40 years they wander. And God even tells Moses that he's not going to enter the land. So Joshua becomes a leader. Moses dies. Joshua becomes a leader. And Joel was able to preach to the high schoolers last week about Joshua and his life. 
So then there's this story that comes up. So Joshua's on the edge of the promised land. We know that they eventually take the promised land. Their big, first big fight is going to be with this city called Jericho. So this is Joshua now. He sends these spies in, very similar to what happened in his life. It's kind of like a repeat. And these spies go in to spy out, to look and to examine what the fortifications are like. Who's there? What's it going to be like? Get some strategy. So they come to Jericho. So look down. So they go, he tells them, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. There's a lot going on in those verses, okay? So for two Israelites to show up in a city and to find the only place that they're welcome is a prostitute's house is probably a good indication of they didn't have a nice welcome committee, right? Uh, They come into Jericho, and people are staring them down, wondering who they are. And Rahab's going to tell us why they were so unfriendly to these strangers. Now, back in those times, it was really common for people to be very friendly with strangers. Um, They didn't have a Motel 6 or Holiday Inn. Like, if you roll into a town, you kind of go into the town square, and you're looking around like, who's going to board me tonight? Like, who's going to open their home to me? Okay? Um, And so, the only person that's willing to open their home is someone of... Someone that these Israelites probably shouldn't go into their home, right? But probably because out of fear, they go with her. And so we go into verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out our land. This is really interesting. So Rahab takes these guys... And now he's put him in her house. Now, who knows? I mean, the king probably didn't see her take them, right? So the whole town knows that Rahab has brought these guys to her house. So he sends guards to her house. Hey, tell her to bring them to me. What happens next? Keep reading. But the woman, I'm sorry, verse, oh, verse 4, yes. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So the, the story's already telling us, like, okay, she went and hid them somewhere. Uh, she's, she's protecting these guys. See, here's the thing. Something's happening to Rahab. Something that she probably shouldn't, shouldn't know about or it really shouldn't be affecting her. Uh, but something's happening. These people are different to her. And so she wants to protect them. Now, Rahab's a really broken person, right? She's of ill repute. She's a prostitute. She, she, her life is broken in pieces, but she knows enough when she sees these guys to take them and hide them away from her king. So she comes and they ask, where are these? And she straight up lies to these guys, right? Now, at first you might say, oh, that's really interesting. And we can see how the story ends and we might even start concluding, wow, there's a really interesting story. This must be about when lying's okay. Uh, no. That's not not the point of the story at all. Uh, There's not this question going on as, is she, is it okay to lie when? No, the the point is this. You have a very broken person who only knows brokenness, only knows sin, and only knows a certain kind of lifestyle, and she's confronted with a situation, and she responds likewise. She she doesn't know God right now. We're going to find out she knows of him, but she's extremely broken. I think this is something we need to understand. Rahab's coming to salvation, okay? 
Her identity is being shifted here. She's going to see who God is and she's going to be becoming a, a believer in God, the God of Israel. But right now, she doesn't really know what morality is. I mean, she's a prostitute, right? Like, she doesn't, she, clearly she has some, some moral issues, right? So what she's doing here, she's coming to God in her brokenness. And this is something we have to get used to. When we are praying for the lost, for people to come to Jesus, we, don't, we shouldn't be shocked when they come and they have bad habits. We shouldn't be shocked when they come and they're broken. Because that's exactly what God wants. He wants broken people. But what we're going to learn, though, is God, while he accepts us in our broken state, brings us to salvation, he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. See, God is a God of healing and a God of wholeness. He longs for you to have the remedy applied to your life. He longs for you to be living a satisfied and full, full, uh, fully joyful, joy-filled life. God doesn't leave you in your brokenness. That's not what this story is trying to tell us either. Some people were like, well, then I guess I got to like clean myself up. Like I've got to make myself right before God. You can't make yourself right before God. You can't clean yourself up to make yourself unbroken. The only solution is God's solution. And so Rahab doesn't even know any of this, right? All she knows is that this God is doing something. Now I will say kind of a side note to this. There is some fascinating questions and discussions that can, ha- can come from this, especially when we talk about what's our moral responsibility, I'm going to use some big words, the moral responsibility when we encounter or, or come face to face with evil, and what, what, what are we required to do in that situation, such as if somebody is about to kill somebody, clearly in this situation, are we allowed to lie in order to save their life? This is called hierarchical uh, the hierarchical hierarchy of sin. And so we can go down that road. It's a very fascinating discussion. We're not going to get into it tonight. But you can ask me later. Can I lie to my mom to save my brother? Uh, mm, probably not. Okay. So this is not the illustration uh, that uh, Rahab's story is about. It's proving to you that she is a broken woman. She applies her, her, her desire to live rightly, she actually ends up doing broken things still. She lies. Okay, so let's move on. So what does she see? She's going to see God. What, what is, how does she describe it? Let's read her words. So we go down to verse 8. Before the men lay down, okay, and all the way up to this point, she's like telling them, go this way, go that way to the guards. Like, she doesn't just go, no, they're not here. She like purposely misleads them too, okay? So when we say it, she straight up lied, like, she straight up lied, okay? She's like, oh yeah, go out the gate, go down. Oh, they're by the fords of the Jordan. You need to go down there and get them. All, all the time, they're just sitting behind something going, oh gosh, please don't find me, all right? So what does she say? She turns in verse eight. Before the men lay down, she came up to them to the roof and said to the men. So this is urgent to her. This can't wait till the morning. She's, she needs to get this out there. She, she, she needs something. She's seeking something. She wants to know something. She goes up to him. She goes, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She's like, listen, you guys, you guys are going to get the land. Now that's a very odd thing for her to say, right? Um, why is it odd for her to say? Well, who is she? Is she of the people of Israel? No. Who is she? She's from Jericho. How does she know all this information? 
How does she know that God's giving them the land? That's a very odd thing. She's like reciting the promises of God. She knows this God. She's come into contact somehow with this God. And more likely from the stories that we keep reading, she says, A fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the, man, uh, the land melt before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So God's freeing his people. You guys remember when Moses rose his stick? You guys seen the, you know, gods and, uh, gods and kings, Exodus, and then other stories, or the Ten Commandments, a movie. How many of you guys have seen the parting of the Red Sea in a movie? Okay. There's this thing called the parting of the Red Sea, okay? Who knows the story of the parting of the Red Sea? There's a big body of water that God's people are about to get slaughtered by this big army coming after them, and God literally just goes, pile water. Whew, there's your path. Wow. And we're all like, yeah, I know God did that. <laughs> if you were somebody living in a land and heard that this God of these, this people, Israel, did this miraculous, crazy thing, and that he promised the land in your home and your stuff to these people, would you be like, yeah, I know that story. Like, I know that story. Like, we got to get out of here, right? Like, we got we to gotta, we gotta ditch this place. Like, I'm a runner. Like, I'm not a stayer. These people are like, we're going to stay here. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to find my way out of that place, you know? I'm a wuss. But these people stay. But Rahab, Rahab has a different response completely. Rahab has a view of God, and she comes. She's not scared of God. See, unbelief leaves you in being scared. When you see the divine judgment of God coming down, you get fearful. But when you understand the true heart of God, it should lead you to repentance and coming to him, saying, this is the God I want to worship. And so Rahab sees this God, and some of us can see God as like this cruel evil tyrant. I'm like telling you how he's conquering land and having people slaughtered. And you're like, how despicable, how can this God do this? But that's not Rahab's response. She sees God and goes, I love this God. I want to be with him. She says, we we're, we're scared because of all these things. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there's no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Does this sound like a defeated woman? Does this sound like a woman who's scared like the other, the men? The men of Jericho are shaking in their boots while their prostitute is coming, hiding men who are going to destroy this city to soon, soon, because she's finally seen the truth of who God is. Her view of God has shifted, and so is her identity, and it's freeing her to reject her brokenness and strive for him, Right? And you see this in the story, and it's so incredibly exciting. Why is it exciting? Because that's, that could be our story. That's, we could be taking part in this story. And it really comes down to, what's our view of God? How do we view God? Really, how are we responding to our view of God? God is sovereign. Just as she says, you, you are the God of, of, of the heavens above and the earth beneath. God is sovereign. He is in control of it all. This is who God is. What's your view of God? 
Let me ask you this question. Did you carry your God within, in this room with you today? Did God come in your pocket? Is he sitting with you right now in some way? Is he that small that you can hold on to him and carry him around? Was our God as, as large as the universe, much larger than the universe? That our God, it, it has no magnitude or limit. He's infinite. And we are just finite. And when you understand your role in the universe is to, to worship, obey, and to glorify him, that should change everything in your life. What did you come in this room believing about your God? If he's a sovereign of the universe, that should change how you come to him. That should free you from the brokenness in our lives. It should free the brokenness in my life. So what has this God done? For Rahab, clearly, what has he done? He's like, he's destroyed nations. Like, he's upholding, like, this people. He's going to give them the land. Well, what, is the, what does the rest of God's word say? How do we weave this out for the rest of history? We'll see God ultimately being the creator, being the sustainer of the universe, and because of the fall, because of the sin entering the world, he sent his son, Jesus, coming in flesh to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserved, and was raised again to sit before God and make intercession for those who believe. This is our God. This is what he's done. And for us as Christians, that's what we put our trust in. That's what we put our identity in. This is the gospel story. This is who God is. That he loves us so much. The question is, is will you allow that to change you? Rahab did. Rahab allowed her view of God to completely turn, overturn her universe. Her world. She was, she was from Jericho. It was a powerful nation. She probably had a very comfortable life. But God turned, up, turned over her life and put her in a really dramatically different place in the role of history. In the role of history, she's going to play a significant role. That's crazy to me. This, this nobody prostitute in Jericho because she had a bigger view of God than those around her. The question is, what are you going to do tonight? For, for you guys, some of you guys haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't put your faith in Jesus. You, you know the gospel. Maybe you've been around church, but you haven't put your full faith in Jesus. You guys are sitting in a chair tonight. You, you, you question that chair. Each one of you looked at that, and those, blue, those gray chairs, you really should question before you put your faith in it. And each one of you sat down in a chair. You put your faith in that. That's the same thing we're, we're doing when we put our faith into Jesus. We trust him fully. We believe in him. We put our faith and we sit. And we don't put our hands down or brace ourselves. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saying, God, you are sovereign. You are holy. You are the judge of the universe. And I'm going to trust that Jesus can take my sin. That Jesus can be my substitute. That, that what he did on the cross is going to save me for eternity. And there's nothing that I've done to earn your, my standing with you, to earn your love. I'm just going to sit and trust and put my faith in Jesus. Have you done that? If you haven't, tonight's the night. Don't leave. If it, junior hires, if you went up to Hume with us and you were processing that and you, you didn't make the decision but you know you need to, don't leave tonight. Talk to Joel. Talk to one of your leaders. Don't leave. For today is the day of salvation. I love Joshua's story. Joshua says, today, today my house will serve the Lord, right? Totally messing up that quote. But the point is that he chose 
to serve God. That what others around him didn't, he chose to serve. Will you choose God tonight? For you believers, you guys who are straying, who are struggling, where are you? Is your God bigger than your problems? Is your God bigger than the darkness that surrounds you? Trust him. Rahab had, Rahab had no reason. She had really, didn't even really even have that much knowledge about God. But she heard the stories and said, I got I to gotta believe this, this God. Christian, have you not heard enough about this God, how powerful he is, how able he is to put your trust in him continually? Come, repent, stand before God. Allow that shift to happen in your identity. Allow his story to be your identity. And be free from the brokenness and strive for him. Quickly, what happens? Well, she shifts in her view of God, and ultimately that response is her shift in view for her heart for other people. She, she naturally wants, for, wants to help other people. Look down at verse 12. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you, and you will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign. This is interesting. She goes, okay, listen, I, I'm scratching your back. I want you to scratch my back. I want you to promise me that you're going to do this, okay? I, I want you to make a promise that I've saved your life that you're going to save mine. She so understands how powerful God is. She knows that city is going to be wiped out soon. And she's like, listen, I know how great God is, but I don't want just me to know that. I want my whole family to know this. She has a bigger heart than just herself. She didn't go, great, can you save me? Because that'd be awesome. She has a bigger, she, that's a big request from her, right? Like these guys are there to, to slaughter that city. And it's like she helps them, but they don't know who her family is. They should have said, uh, yeah, Rahab, you're asking a little too much there. How about just you? She probably had some kids and your kids, but that's it. And it's like, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing and trying to figure out, come to compromise. They just accept it. So she had a faith in this God of Israel, and she wanted her family to know. Because what her family was about to do is they were stopping from Jericho and start being from Israel. They were going to join the people of God. So her shift in identity has moved her to understand what the truth is, is she wants other people to know it. So basically she asks, can my family get saved? And they go, yeah. Look down at verse 14. Sorry, track, 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 track. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us a land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And so she says, they, she says, will you promise me? They say, we promise, right? And this is phenomenal. Uh, think about this. She probably did not have that large of a home, okay? So you might start questioning, well, what about her heart for the whole city? Why didn't she ask for the whole city? The reality is she, she had an understanding that not everybody could get saved, okay? Not everybody was going to fit inside her house. It was just practical. Uh, the God of the universe had decided to bring judgment on that house, on that whole city. And she asks for her family. And God grants it to her. It's really interesting. I love her heart. And if your identity has been placed in Jesus, if you accept Jesus into your life, you accept salvation, God wants you to turn and have a heart for others. He wants you to pursue other people. Do, do you not want other people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, to know the love of God? And this is what God's done for us. He's transformed our hearts that we might be 
freed from our brokenness, that we strive for him with regards to others. He wants other people. If that's not true, we wouldn't see how this whole story ends. It's very interesting. And so this is the most interesting part of the story. It's the ending. So her home, as we read in verse, uh, I think, 15, it's actually inside the wall. Now, if you know the story of Jericho, uh, in chapter 6 of Joshua, the walls are going to come down, right? That's how they beat the city. These walls and like, they're massive. These just enormous walls. Jericho's not that large of a city, like, but it was these massive fortifications that threatened people, that they were scared of. And so her house is inside the wall. The wall's going to come down. What does she request? Can you save everybody that's in my house? The guys go, yeah, we'll save. Now, see, these spies didn't know God's plan. But this just demonstrates that this is God's sovereignty working itself out. That God miraculously, and this was a miracle that he did, okay? Not just because he saves Rahab, but because the actual walls, he just like polarizes them, right? Like it wasn't like he shook the earth, like gave it an earthquake, get shook, and the walls came down. And w- remember the story. The, the, the Israelites have been walking around doing one lap every day for six days. And on the seventh day, God says, I want you to go out there. I want you to do seven laps, which was hilarious. You got these people walking around a city and you got to think these people are like, we're scared of these people. I've been more scared. These guys are crazy. Like they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're just walking around us. And they get to a point where they turn on the seventh lap and God tells them to blow the horns and shout. And you'll have people say, oh, yeah, and like the shout was so loud, and God used it. It's a miracle, okay? Like, shouting won't tear down walls. But God does this. You obey me, we'll move mountains or walls. But the same thing, it's a miracle. Just tearing down those walls. The more miraculous part is that Rahab is in the wall. That's why we know it's a miracle. Her home's in the wall. She would have had like a room, a small room, and part of the fortificated wall bam, like that big, would have been part of her walls. So you got to imagine, not a lot of people could fit in there. So they're going, oh dear, you know, like the wall comes shattering down. God sends in the spies. They go save Rahab and her family and bring her out. It's a phenomenal ending. I mean, I really, I'm the whole time, I'm like, man, someone should make a movie of this, right? But it might be too cheesy. So, um, yeah, maybe Mel Gibson. Yeah, there you go. Um, so in conclusion, so the story, the, the whole story, right? It ends here. Rahab is faithful. She's seen as faithful. She allows her view of God and then her, her love for other people to be shifted because of the story that she heard of God. The story about God, God's identity, who he was, his people. She, she longed for that and she came to that. She allowed her identity to be in God. And so that's our, our part right now, guys. If there's brokenness in our lives, if there's, if there's hardship, if there's ruin, if there's things that are going on, allow God's story to be your story. Allow your identity to be so rooted and grounded in the gospel. It's going to change. It's going to take changing your view of God. Got to get him out of your pocket. He doesn't fit there. And it's going to be about reaching out to others. And that's the mission that we're on. That's what we're about. And that's why we gather, whether you're in junior high or high school, this is the mission we're on, bringing broken people to Jesus. This is, oh, that's gone, the remedy. They changed it on me. I didn't know that was up there the whole time. This is the remedy. Jesus is the remedy. He didn't come for those who think that they're okay. He came for those who are broken. He came for Rahab. And here's the beautiful part. I told you that her whole life 
was changed. Her, the, her role in history was altered. She was a know-nothing prostitute in Jericho, and God put her in the line, in the lineage, as part of the family of the future Savior of the world. A prostitute, a Gentile, became part of the family and lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. What's your mark going to be? Where are you going to make the impact? How's the gospel going to impact your story? Let's pray for our identity to be wrapped around God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. God, I pray that as we just reflect on your word as it was preached, God, that if there was anything said that would detract from you, God, that would detract from what you have called us to. God, I pray that you would move that away from our minds now. But God, I pray that you would sear into our memory those things that you so long for us to remember. God, maybe it's for things that uh, you prepared for us to hear uh, for the junior hires up at winter camp. And God, maybe that, that something was repeated here. God, I pray that you just keep pushing. And through your Holy Spirit that you would make an inroad, that you make an impact into these lives of these students. That God, that you would grab their hearts and they would fall in love with you. God, I pray that maybe this message was preparatory for those high schoolers going up to Hume. God, I pray that uh, this message would be repeated. I pray that they would allow what you want to, them to hear to be loud in their ears, to ring in their ears, and that you would move in each one of our hearts tonight. So God, go before us uh, in your mighty hand, in your uplifted hand. Uh, help us understand who you are and what you've come to do. May our identity be wrapped in you alone and not in our feelings, not in our, our ideas, and not in our future hopes, but in you, in Christ alone. We pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.